You're listening to episode 12 of the Propaganda Report with Monica Perez and Brad Binkley. Today's episode is brought to you by Fake News. Want fake news? Head on over to CNN. You'll get enough bull to last you a lifetime. On today's episode, the resurrection of the neocons. The plan to make the alt-right beg for a conservative welfare state. Fake news, cultural conditioning, and much more. Here's Monica Perez and Brad Binkley. Pretty slow news week from what I could tell. I, I think it's mainly about uh, Trump's cabinet picks and all the people he's surrounding himself with. Uh, and I've been reading these books of about Trump. I read a couple of books about him. And one consistent theme is that he really values loyalty and he repays disloyalty with revenge. Like that's a big, big theme of his loyalty and revenge. Right. So he has no like objective from just from what I've been reading. There's no like objective principles or anything. It's just loyalty and revenge. What's his definition of disloyalty? Well, this was an example he's used repeatedly where he gave some woman a job. She did a good job. She got promoted. She got rich. She's, um, she got married. And uh, he needed a political favor from somebody she knew. And she said, I'm not comfortable with that. He's not going to do it anyway. And I, I still think it's like the right thing to ask for. I'm not calling him. It was like some really important person, the governor or something, or something like that. So she said no. So he fired her. And he said stuff like, I've been watching her career. She got a divorce. That made me happy. And um, hoping she goes bankrupt. That would really make me happy. You know, the, the two things is loyalty. And if you can't have loyalty, revenge. So repeatedly all over the news, it says that he's been, as like his cabinet members and all this kind of stuff, he's been repaying loyalty. And I want to talk about that. When I talk about his cabinet picks, um, it gets pretty boring pretty fast. But there's a clear pattern, uh, which is that the neocons are back on top. And if you're debating whether Trump was plan A, plan B, or oh crap, I would say the fact that the neocons of all people are back in charge makes you think it was somebody's plan A. But here's the weird twist. Well, I would agree yeah. with that. And one thing, though, that could be is, like I said before, is if you know somebody's going to be your strongest opposition and you know they're going to try to stop you, if you can wrangle them to using their energy and then switch the direction of the tracks up ahead, you could bamboozle them into furthering your own cause if you're that yeah. sly. Yep, yep, you definitely could. I could see that, and I think that's what's going to be – the uh, I think what the main number one excuse for his I mean Giuliani as Secretary of State right. I don't think that's going to happen but it, it, that is up there with Trump as president like is he looking like, at what? Romney also well that's the rumor so it was first Bolton and Giuliani who would just be they're the most bombastic people so when when you had first told me Giuliani was going to be Attorney General that made sense because he's aggressive and that's a prosecution role but as secretary of state that's a diplomat's role that's not a role for an aggressive guy it actually would be kind of perfect for romney in a way 
But I think what they're going to say is, oh, he needs, he's always said, see, that's the thing. All of his weird, contradictory, throwaway comments in the campaign are all going to be like, well, he did say that, uh, that he would like to do something about minimum wage. He did say that uh, he would, um, what are some of the other things he said? Oh, renegotiate NAFTA. I think that's going to be a big trap, a big right. setup. You know, all these things like, well, he did say that he's going to do this stuff. He did say he was going to surround himself with uh, GOP establishment politicians. Right. You know? Wait, he-, he did say that. Here's my uh, quick thoughts on that. 60 Minutes actually summed this up, and I I had said this prior to 60 Minutes saying it, but at the beginning of 60 Minutes, and he says this in his book, in Art of the Deal, she says that his campaign promises appear to be more of a negotiation starting point than actual campaign promises, and that's that's kind of what I've I've believed all along because that's what he says. That's his approach in his book. Yeah, that's what he says. I mean, that's the thing. It was just like Obama. But like the polar opposite and identical same thing. Exactly. Which I said repeatedly. It was like Obama was just a blank slate, hope and change. There was nothing on there. Trump actually said every possible thing. So in different circumstances, <laughs> yeah, you can go and retrieve right. any sense. Like I told you, I told you. And what so, you said about people grabbing on to what they want to grab onto and ignoring the rest. That's also a, a rhetorical um, persuasion propaganda tactic. Yes. And that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, you just, he's the classic example, in my opinion, of hearing what you want to hear or what it is. There's actually something else going on there, which is they keep pushing this, this Bannon guy, the Breitbart guy is working for him. Yeah. And uh, all over the Wall Street Journal, and I've been talking about it for a long time, they keep pushing this idea that it's a populist revolution. And to me, they're telling us that, and and people on the so-called alt right are um, are incorporating that. They're throwing that into the basket, but it's really it's it's a very clever little ploy whereby they're taking what should be a small government, traditional American right, which is very different from this nationalistic right of Europe that has nothing to do with fiscal conservatism. And what they're saying is that, uh, that this, what they're telling these people is you have been left behind. You have been wronged by globalism. You have been maligned by PC. You are owed. So we are going to engage in profligate spending in fiscal excess. We are going to build infrastructure. We're going to pump money into the system. We're going to lower taxes, debt be damned, deficits be damned, interest rates be damned. You deserve it and we're going to give it to you. So what they're doing to the right is exactly what they did to the left by telling minorities that they were wronged and that they that it's not really stealing redistribution of wealth, government spending, all that kind of stuff. It's not really stealing because you deserve it. You were wronged, and that is what they're doing to the right. That's the nature of this dialectic that has changed, that has replaced. So you have this PC thing going on, uh, the identity politics of the left being countered by the, instead of an ideological small government thing like the Tea Party was, this alt-right identity politics thing. Uh, So that's the thesis, the antithesis, the synthesis is just pure identity politics taking place of ideology 
and it completely plays into the big government thing. Then it's just a fight on how to distribute the wealth that now is totally in the control. Wait, so what? So government. you're saying instead of pairing, like instead of grouping people off ideologically, grouping people off by race, by sex, by you know, what kind of movement they stand for? Yes. And, and, but that was just phase one. I had recognized that all along, but I just realized that what they're doing with that, it's not just an end in itself for just divisiveness and to have loyalty to your party. It's to get the right to fully embrace the idea of redistribution of wealth. Because if you redefine the right as instead of an ideological small government thing, as an identity politics, what about us white guys thing, then you really just have a tug of war of who's going to get the goodies. And the right used to have, see, that's the whole problem with this Trump thing is that it's not as opposed to the liberty movement. The liberty movement was absolutely strictly based on economic liberty and personal liberty. It's just, it was an ideological position that if you followed these rules of right and wrong, prosperity would result. And this alt-right thing is not about economic principles or individual liberty principles. It's about righting the wrong through government. Oh, so the people on the right are going to be calling for some types of for the government to step in and fix things also. Yes. Yes. So now they're saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, it's just like, like the left right now is afraid of DC. They should be championing the bill of rights and the 10th amendment and the right, but they're not stupidly, but the right should still be championing the, the, the bill of rights, the 10th amendment, but instead they're going to say, yeah, man, it's our turn. You know, and right. that's just terrible because you're completely giving up on on America because the first thing Trump said in his acceptance speech, the only policy item I remember was infrastructure spending. And they're talking about it all over the place. Yeah, they're he talked about rebuilding America in, six, in his 60 Minutes interview. He talked about rebuilding America. Yeah. And I don't – and this Bannon guy called himself an economic – populist yeah. an economic populist that is not a small government guy but let me read the scary quote he's a european uh rightist or whatever he's a european like you were talking about like months ago yeah. the european but he's thing. not european right yeah he's not but he, he he kind of aligns himself from what i understand with that type of ideology let me read a quote of his that appeared in the wall street journal today uh this weekend it said he says it was Lao Tzu, I guess I pronounced it, who said that with the best leaders, when the work is accomplished, the people will say, we have done this ourselves. That's how I've led. So just like a week or two ago, when we were talking about the Podesta email back and forth that said, we need to transform the Catholic Church and we need the people within it, the Catholics themselves, to demand this change that we are directing. He's saying the exact same thing. He said, the best leader, when it's over, the people say, we've done this ourselves. That's how I've led. He, to me, that, isn't, that doesn't necessarily mean that they, the leader empowers the people. Just that the people think it was their own idea. 
Yeah, that's what. So that's what I think this populism is coming from. Who is it that said that? This is Bannon. Bannon said that. Yeah, that's Bannon is very much a propagandist. He is. I mean, all of them are, no doubt. But that 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 he's um, a proud, proud, proud. He's a sensationalist, and that's why I think he's on Trump's campaign. He owes him a favor. You're right, but he also has influence over this group. I think Trump's going to surround himself with people who have influence over as many parts of society, as many sects of society as possible. That's my opinion. So I think he'll get a black man, uh, 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 someone who is gay. Yeah, Michelle Ree is going to be the probably the Department of Education. Right. But what you just said, though, is totally it, it, the whole idea of this of unrecognizable propaganda is the government or whoever the propaganda says chooses the outcome they want, and then they slowly and subtly manipulate the public into deciding that they want the very thing that was already chosen in the beginning by the propagandist. Right, and that's that's the technique. I recognize that. I agree with you. And I'm highlighting that the content, you know, the goal here, I just, I feel like it's really important to emphasize what they're doing here with this is, is this what I consider to be a, I, I, they have written every day in the Wall Street Journal that I care to read uh, from these, like the economics writers and stuff. They just keep battering, batting, batting, beating down into our heads that this whole Trump phenomenon is a is a populist movement where people want the government, people on the right want the government to spend more money. It's absolutely fabricated. And the pollster failings, the poll failures are going to play right into this because they I don't believe for one second that the grassroots I could be wrong. I mean I Maybe I'm maybe I just really am wrong, but I just when I marched on Washington against Obamacare, when I witnessed the liberty, you know, the Ron Paul revolution, my mother was a Tea Partier. These people all wanted small government and sound economic principles. I never ever heard people on the right say, "Give me mine." I never heard that ever, and and they're telling us that that's what this is all about. They're feeding us that line, and the result is going to be out of control spending. Lower taxes for I don't know who's going to benefit from that, but then you're going to – so it's going to be – you might have some growth there, but you're going to have increased deficits, increased debt, increased interest rates. And who loves increased debt and increased interest rates? The the bankers, and boy, does he have a lot of bankers on his team. Yeah, Kushner. Isn't Kushner a banker? Kushner's a real estate guy. That's another thing that I was just kind of thinking. Trump and Kushner are both – their assets, if if – if just your common knowledge is to be believed, they're they are heavily, heavily, heavily invested in real estate. So they want okay. real estate prices to go up. In my opinion, now I don't know how they're going to do that while interest rates go up, but that is what they want. And so I assume that they're going to try to make that happen. But I wanted to say one thing about the loyalty. Revenge. Let me clar- let me clarify and, what you just yeah. said for a second. To make sure I, I'm on yeah. the same page. So yeah. the the idea, uh, and I I think I see some of it also. Um, is that basically with Trump in office, the people who support him or some of the people who supported him, whether they already do or whether they're going to try to be propagandized into it, it's going to be, okay, let's have the government via Trump spend on our causes now. So still government spending, still bigger yes. government, but just for their purposes now. Yes, which if you go back and read Irving Crystal's book – Neoconservatism, the autobiography of an idea, or my extensive summary of it, 
you will see that was the blueprint. The people will demand a conservative welfare state. Okay, yeah. That it's really it's it's so neoconservative, which is why I now think that Trump was for sure plan A because this has been what they have wanted all along and and somehow they managed to get us to think that it was our idea. But anybody who's a real libertarian, for example, would never he, he never heard anything libertarian coming from Trump. Nothing. Zero. Right. But you it's, know, not it's one similar. Thing. It's similar to the idea of somebody who who is anti-war, you know, protesting about Hillary, even though Hillary was pro-war, because they don't see it as war. They see Hillary's intervention a- as humanitarian. So here, it's like it's not seen as a welfare. It's seen as finally somebody spending money for the causes that we believe are right. Yes, and I try to tell people that I was at a. Um, a group. I went to this group. It was they were talking about IVF in vitro fertilization, and I my son has Down syndrome, and I knew a lot of people. I, I did not get IVF, but they asked me to go and talk about that, and uh, I was just talking about the issue of whether or not uh, it was right or wrong, and whether it should be ethical or legal or um, was it moral? Are there differences among those? And I said, look, you got to watch out. She's like, it should be illegal. Everybody says it should be illegal. And I said, look, first of all, you have to watch out when you're talking about federal laws, if that's what you're talking about. Like uh, the Defense of Marriage Act was a federal law that said marriage has to be between a man and a woman, which was a complete and utter, in my opinion, pre-planned setup, teeing it up for the secular humanists who actually run this country, the people who, uh, whose morality is with is like an atheistic morality. It's it's I'm not uh, criticizing it. I'm just saying they're going to win if it's at the federal level. They're going to win. And so, what did they do? They took DOMA as an opportunity to make a Supreme Court ruling that the whole entire country could not, like the states, you know, the right gave up. What's DOMA? Defense of Marriage Act. So so where they said gay marriage was illegal in the whole country, that was a law that Congress passed and Clinton signed. And then the Supreme Court, you know, one thing led to another over the years, and then the Supreme Court said you're not even allowed to ban gay marriage in your own state, much less federally. And And my point is that the right gave up on the 10th Amendment by passing that. That is absolutely marriage, welfare, abortion, murder, policing, education. All that stuff is reserved to the states under the 10th Amendment. That's been clearly adjudicated. So when when the right gave up on that, they opened themselves up. It's the same. So you just want to not allow the federal government to take over things that you th- – well, don't want the other side to control. Like there's a lesson in this for both sides and nobody's paying attention to it. Yeah. Uh, not enough people anyway. I mean, not enough. So I wanted to posit a, like a query, a question I've had for a while on this thing about his loyalty, Trump's loyalty. Hillary, did you see the thing, um, where Hillary looked terrible. 
Yeah, she looked like she was run over by a truck. Yeah, it was crazy. So I, I actually emailed you a picture of her for her concession speech. That was, that was a horrible thing to wake up to. <laughs> Sorry. So there's just – she obviously showed up at her first appearance since the concession speech. Uh, she did not wear any eye makeup. She didn't wash her hair. She had total bedhead. It was bizarre. It, it looks like somebody obviously... dragged her by the feet, and her face was just <laughs> popping up and down on pebbles on the way. <laughs> yeah, so she looked terrible. And uh, so when uh, – so, so that was the first time I had looked and thought, is it possible that she uh, – is hamming this up on purpose for some reason. I, I've been wondering why, you know, um, nothing has made me think for one second that she was in on this the way I thought Trump was in on it for her. I do not think that she was in on it for him. Except for that, she was hamming up her disappointment so much that then I started to wonder if she's protesting too much. And then further, I wondered how could Trump have just blindsided her and betrayed her if his only principle is loyalty or did she do something to him and he was exacting revenge see i i think it goes a lot deeper layers than that i i i I don't think they both i don't think it's as simple as trump deciding one way or another against her or or her deciding he decided to run against her right well yeah I, but I don't know that they they were they, they hung out. There's pictures of them at each other's weddings and stuff. But I don't necessarily know if they they might have been like friends on. They might have been frenemies. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, he used to golf with Bill. Right, and for all for all I'm saying is like from reading his book and from the way that other operatives have operated, whether he is one or not, it is you get close to these people and you gather intel on them. Hmm. I mean, that's how a spy well, – I'm not saying Trump's a spy, but right, so, if you were a spy, then so you're going to be golfing with Clinton because you're going to be gathering information on him. But that doesn't really – that kind of flies in the face of his loyalty thing. Maybe well, the loyalty thing is totally fake, but I feel like somebody has to – You know, he, he must – he obviously is a guy who's got an ego. He thinks highly of himself. I don't think you can not have a code. I mean, even the guys in the mafia have a code. Right. It depends on what the loyalty is too. If you're a spy, and I'm not saying, by the way, for everybody listening, I'm not saying that Trump is like a spy for another country <laughs> or anything like that. I'm just saying yeah, hypothetically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hypothetically, if someone, it's my belief that if someone is to, you have to infiltrate the system from the inside, and and kind of, I think that that's one of the one of the strategies that people use. And to do so, you have to essentially operate like a spy. You have to appear to be one of the one of the globalists. You have to surround yourself by them, and you, on the surface, have to kind of act like them. And uh, so, essentially, like a spy. So, if you're a spy, then your loyalty is to whoever you're working with, uh, uh, and not the people that you're infiltrating if that makes okay sense. all right so you're but so but a british the, spy a british yeah. spy's loyalty is to the british not to the people that they get close to or even might marry over in the united states yeah but the thing you know like the epstein thing i know that you think he that uh, trump was above that but he really was there many times and i mean for those guys to all buddy buddy around and one inner circle seems oh it seems to me that this is disloyal of him that it, that it, that that is his gang 
Yeah, I, I don't – I mean, there's a lot of but people associated like, with that. No, yeah. Yeah. No matter what, if you think there are two factions in the world, liberals, you know, say the the left Democrat thing and the right Republican thing, Trump was squarely in the left liberal thing. Right. If you look at the pictures of the people he was with. So the fact that he's doing it in, on the Republican side in, is in itself an act of disloyalty unless he was – trying to be a like a ringer but or a spoiler a right I, I think the factions are more it could I, be plan b i don't necessarily think they're left or right i think they're above all the left and right thing the the faction like i think the global i think there's globalists who have factions among them fighting each other i think they're all machiavellian backstabbers personally i, th- I think they're i think they'll, they're best friends until the day they decide they need to stab this person in the back in order to gain more power and that, that, that's how I, I think they all operate Machiavellian to the most extreme extent possible at the highest level. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I just wish, you know, I just, it's just one of those little things that I'm not going to let go of until I understand it better. Right. His, you know, if his philosophy of life is loyalty and revenge. You know, I just I, I want a, a good reason to. Right. I, I want it all to fit together for me. No, I, I hear you. It's it's see, and uh, the way I think about it is I, I always, which it can make make your head spin. But <laughs> okay. when I think about okay, who is he? Who is he uh, taking revenge on? Who is he loyal to? That loyalty could be layers away. That's that's outside of our awareness. And the revenge, re- like an act of kindness towards one person, could in actuality be revenge towards somebody that we don't we aren't even aware of. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I, so, so let's take it to the next level. I was, here's my real big, big question about all of this. You know, that it's plan A, plan B, or oh crap. (laughs) So if it's, and I understand now, I guess, except for that weird Hillary hamming it up thing, I, I, I'm resigned to understanding that there are there are two factions fighting it out for the corners, even if there's just, you know, there's one big boss or whatever, or the big bosses get together and, and divide up the corners and let those guys fight it out. I really don't know. The lizards. But, yeah, let's say the, the lizards are the bosses. So here's the thing. I I can't get away from thinking that there are two two things I I I still hold dear even though the election totally turned upside down my confidence in understanding the tactics of it all the strategies I've never been great at strategy I can see patterns but the but strategy I don't get so uh so I believe there's still after concentration of power at the top, like world governments, yeah. a basic economically based, commercially based world government. And I know that their tactics, I know for sure, are false flags and psychological operations, right. among other things. Propaganda also. <clears throat> so I see those two things. Now, if that is true and they are still after this power at the top, what exactly is going on here with Trump and I, I did read something in that philosophy of metrics site that did predict Trump winning that said what they were trying to do is break down the instead of just constantly, uh, you know, vortex getting everything straight to the top, 
they're breaking it down, regionalizing it, taking a break from the, you know, kind of regrouping. And the, and I had already kind of thought of that kind of a model when I was thinking about uh, how how Russia folds in with Syria. Yeah, you said that the other day. I believe. Yeah, that that what they do. Yeah, before this, I I had already kind of had a vision in my mind of how the model must work, and I feel like it's like gametes. Like if you watch an egg divide into two eggs, if you ever watch one of those like microscopic documentaries, <laughs> you no. see like the, the the DNA splits into two, it, and it pulls apart, and then everything pulls apart and then you have two eggs and then those, you know, the eggs then, uh, you know, get fertilized and turn into this whole holistic thing, this fully formed. This is like a uh, female egg. Yes. And then, so what I'm thinking, so that's what I thought with like third world countries or second world countries or the middle East or whatever, the the second best thing for the U S is not that Syria remains independent, necessarily it's that if russia were to absorb syria and then we the powers that be uh saw a convergence the great convergence that's Zbigniew brzezinski said a convergence of east and west is how it has to be and rockefeller said in order for that to happen you kind of have to slow the west down and pump the east up so if if this is all about uh you know, creating like the way an engine works and a transmission, like creating these pieces that are going at roughly the same speed so they can all kind of join together, you would have to slow the U.S. down a little bit. Being this world-dominating country isn't doesn't really work if you can't really plug in Russia and China. They won't allow it. So you need to kind of slow down to their level. So that's why I think that the North American Union is still on the table because one thing Trump said was, I'm going to build a big wall and put a big, beautiful door in it. And he said he was going to renegotiate NAFTA. And I wouldn't be surprised if we get this regionalized, uh, you know, slowed down, but tightened up and, and in that way have a backdoor to stitching up into the world government, like through the trade partnerships or whatever yeah one of the communist approaches in uh russia i believe it was in i mean probably since the beginning but um i believe the 50s and 60s when was stalin in power stalin was in power for a really long time i think it was 30 years maybe beginning in the early 30s okay yes because i believe it was under stalin's reign yeah where they they kept making these promises about how they were going to equal the United States in production by this year, by that year. So one of the main things was let's catch up to the United States. Like you're saying, yes, catch the East up to the West, and then you can uh, you know, attach them together and try to spread the, the ideology or, or whatever, the, the power universally. Yes, and then there are theories that the Rockefellers for sure, James Corbett did something on this, did China – like went into China, China. And, and gave China <laughs> gave them the tools to get like uh, more advanced. And then there's a book I have to read, Major Jordan's Diaries, about us sending stuff over to to Russia to keep them a pace with us. That we gave them a lot of stuff. When people say Oppenheimer gave Russia the bomb, 
that people think because he was a traitor. I think he was working for the military industrial complex, keeping yeah. that thing going. I mean, that's really going down the rabbit hole. But I want, before we move on, I wanted to say, I read this thing in, uh, in also this weekend's paper, the title of the, of the article is Trump's NATO push tests budgets. And here's the quote uh, from, who is it? A defense expert at the German Marshall Fund of the United States in Brussels. He said, there's enough money in the European budget. He said, the problem is that the Europeans have been very ineffective. We have 28 navies, 28 air forces, and 28 armies. The big problem is the issue of unity. There is no unity. So what Trump's doing, whether he means to or not, by putting pressure on NATO is is creating this push. He's saying they have to spend more money, whatever, for them to unite militarily, which is exactly what the European Union wants to do next. The first it was monetary, then they and partly political, and then military. So if he is getting Europe to tighten up regionally, and he gets us to tighten up regionally, uh, that could be this backdoor to world government that just means it's a different. Maybe it's a different faction. Maybe it's a different route. Right. But still, it's the it, this isn't like this big turnaround. It's and just that, a different yeah. way. And that that is exactly what. And whether he is doing it willingly or or unwillingly, that's exactly what. I mean, when I talk to you, I don't know if I've talked about it on air yet, but about about it being about the globalist approaching world government or achieving world government the same way an improviser approaches an improv scene uh, in improvisational theater in that they don't have hard cut scripted steps that they take, because if that fails, then they're out of luck. They have strategies to use and that in certain scenarios, they have A, B, C and D plans that they that they use in when these circumstances arise. So whenever they look at the reality of the situation, they say, OK, based on what is real right now, we're going to adjust and we're going to use whatever energy is there to further our cause. So that way they're never limited. It's also a theory in, in cybernetics, I believe, where it's uh, the most flexible thing in any system takes control of the system. So as long as you remain flexible, then you can adjust and use the energy that's real in the moment. Well, that that could dovetail with this concept that in order to actually control the actor to have a really effective puppet, you have to have somebody who's so egotistical yeah. they – think and and that actually fits not just the ego part but uh with trump the idea that you think good ideas are your ideas even if you didn't think of them so right. like if you if you can absorb other people's ideas and parrot them if you get good at that and that seems like a quality he has or has bragged about or people have written about where if you told him what is a nato pay its way. It's not cool. It's not cool. They need to start paying, spending more on defense. Hey, yeah, you're right. That stinks. We don't even need to blah, blah, blah. So then without right. really thinking too hard about it, you've created this, uh, a defense unit, a defense block that also has like the same you know, 300 million people. You know what I mean? If you stitch Europe together, it, it rivals the U S as a unit, you know, with, with, the uh, um, Economic Germany has is very strong economically per capita. Uh, I'm just saying, like you could easily that would be an easy one to manipulate this NATO, right? And that that idea about doing it where it's very suggestive and somebody that it has an ego that's a leader believes it to be their own idea 
to serve their purposes, maybe not seeing the bigger purposes that it's also serving. That That's very much a um, – and it's all of their tactics. But something that – that type of thing is Bernays talks about that a lot. It's very – very seeding ideas in, in leaders' heads so that those leaders can then in turn spread those ideas, believing that they're not – believing that they weren't manipulated into doing it. But when they spread those ideas, their followers take those ideas and spread them even further. So propaganda is being spread without the leader even realizing that he is pushing it forward. Yeah, I think that that could be an explanation certainly for the details. I still don't – think that there's uh yeah i think i think trump knows who i i don't know i was gonna say he knows who he's working for but i don't know about that i think it would be very easy to not clue him in on that yeah i think there's layers and layers of manipulation going on at those at those levels personally should we rattle off who the people are that are on his short list for various yeah uh roles. So Rance Priebus is his chief of staff. He was the RNC guy, the head of the Republican National Committee. And he's uh I I think that he's see he he seems to me like a real politician. Like he just seems like a guy you like, a genuine guy, super charming, a very pragmatic, loyal, party guy. That that kind of <laughs> those kind of people, I I personally like just feel like I want to like him so much because he just seems charming as that cute Midwestern accent and all that kind of stuff. You think previous? Uh, but is those, cute? well, I don't think he's cute, but he's got that yeah that that little Wisconsin thing. It's just so cute. Oh, so but the way he talks. You know who else has that Wisconsin thing? That Wisconsin yeah. thing is uh the what's his name? Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan. Yeah, Paul Ryan. He makes my skin crawl. <laughs> I, I don't ever hear him say say stuff like that. He doesn't pull it off. I don't hear. I think he doesn't talk like that on purpose. I think Rince Priebus talks like that on purpose. <laughs> yeah, I think he right. knows it's cute and it makes him sound middle American, even though he has a funny name. And, he, and I don't even know where he's really from. He's not really from there originally. I know that. But uh, but that's the kind of guy you really can uh, – can really get up to stuff. <laughs> and, and he was seen as people people on the left for the most part, not all of them, but they saw him as a good choice. While they saw Bannon as a terrible choice and then people who were like Trump's, you know, hardcore anti-establishment supporters saw Bannon as a great choice and saw Prince uh, yeah. as a terrible choice. Yeah, that's an excellent point. That's an excellent Oh, that's very clever. So he's uh cuz he can't he can't come out and just abandon his Exactly. Right this is what I'm saying. Like he, be- he's getting somebody for every group he needs to influence. Well, I saw something uh, – somebody sent me a, a link to a video. I believe it's Truthstream Media. It's a chick. She was saying how Bannon and Breitbart, whatever, can give Trump a lot of feedback, like a, a, like a lot of, um, you know, this is what people want to hear. Like you can – Give him the memes, the talking points, if you have access to the kind of broad support, feedback, commentary. You know, I guess Breitbart, this guy has his finger on the pulse of, if you want to call it the alt-right, and beyond. Right. And so he'll be useful. I'm saying he'll be useful. Exactly. And this is, is, I think I talked about this in the, in the, one of the previous shows is, um, 
World War II, the British sent a bunch of highly influential writers who were very in tune with what with social currents. Like H.G. Wells was one of them. He was an operative for the oh, British. Yeah. And yeah. they all – they went to other countries. Some of them came over to America, and they infiltrated these elitist groups in society who had the most power and most influence over every single sect that needed to be influenced. So whatever whatever the groupings of society are at that certain time, whether it's by race, ideology, or all of them, there's, there's so many different groups in society. But what I see Trump doing is kind of the same thing. It's like who can I choose – Along with also repaying favors, but who can I choose that is in tune with the social currents of this group and also has influential power over this group so that he can throw each group the bones that need to be thrown in order to have the ability to mobilize as well, many people that as possible? Yeah, that's clear. That's the clear purpose of identity politics on the left. And I was highlighting right up until the election, they had the Muslim guy who lost his son in war getting out the Muslim vote. They had Obama getting out the black vote. They right. had, funny enough, uh, Tim Kaine getting out the Spanish vote because <laughs> he spoke vote. Spanish. Tim Kaine yeah, is going uh, to uh, local prisons to get all the psychopaths to support Hillary. Yeah, that's funny that he does have that crazy look in his eye. Well, now, now you probably don't have to worry about him for a while. But uh, but they did do that. So maybe now it's like the because that's the thing about this idea that like white identity is a driver for common good or common purposes, because the white society is really very diverse in this country. I mean, it's not an ethnicity, really. It's just a non-color. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like they're. So, so you can have a lot of factions, establishment Republicans, Midwesterners, alt-right people, uh, Southerners, you know what I'm saying? Like that you can have uh, identity factions, a patchwork of subgroups, just like you have on the left, on the right. I mean, maybe I'm out on a limb, but I'm just trying to understand what you're saying. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. It's just like marketing yeah. demographics. It's it's you can group yeah. people by their interests uh, according to what they post on Facebook, by their Facebook friends they interact with the most, by the sports they're into, by the type of uh, movies they watch. It just Oh, yes, yes. Yes, that's just like Ted Cruz and Cambridge Analytics exactly. pulling together these six subgroups of how to talk to the six subcultures like that, neurotic, yes. like psychological and subgroups. I think that everybody he's choosing is going to be able to get in tune with each of those subgroups. Yeah, they he'll probably have somebody. Maybe that's what Bannon might have an expertise in that. But I have to say, as far as his, like, basically everything else, he's got two groups, in my opinion, of the kind of people he's drawing from. Uh, massive, high-level bankster types, including... Yeah. This Wilbur Ross, the Rothschild guy, who actually ran Rothschild in New York from the beginning of Trump's, uh, or I should say, one of Trump's, the fir his first entree into casinos, he bought from a Rothschild conglomerate um, or partnership. Then when he got into trouble, it was bailed out by this guy, Wilbur Ross, who started a Rothschild kind of bailout thing. He was also, Trump bailed out in Chicago by George Soros. So he's got a lot of bankers on his team now uh, that are all kind of in the same boat. And then as far as his CIA guy, Secretary of Defense, his National Security Advisor, Secretary of State, all these guys are hardcore uh, warmongers, neocons, 
They want, um, they've all spoken, uh, uh, let me give you specific examples. The CIA guy, Pompeo, led the charge against uh, the Snowden stuff. So I think Snowden is fake. (laughs) So I'm not saying that I was like, Snowden's my hero. I think Snowden is a CIA operative. However, there's this like function he served to get people to, in Washington, to be like, oh, we have to we have to back off on surveillance. And then the other people said, oh, look what happened. You backed off on surveillance. We had Orlando, you know, and they blame Snowden for that. Like if you read some stuff, it's like the Snowden backlash or the backlash backlash. Pompeo led the charge on like, we cannot kowtow to people like Snowden. We need to double down on surveillance. Then Flynn, the, uh, the NS national security advisor he is also one of these guys whose specialty is intelligence. He was head of the Defense Intelligence Agency in 2012 when they released a memo that said, we want to see an Islamic State emerge on the border of Syria and Iraq to give us an excuse to oust Assad. So uh, there's definitely some funny business going on with that guy. And uh, Jeff Sessions, who has defended the Constitution in my witnessing, he was all over Leon Panetta for going to the UN for permission to bomb Libya instead of Congress. He was super mad about that. But I read a quote in Reason Magazine about Sessions that said he was criticizing people in Congress or the Senate or whatever who would defend the Constitution at the expense of national security, which is is like almost an oxymoron because if you went back and followed the principles of the constitution, starting with uh, requiring declarations of war from Congress, we would not have these problems. We would have a much more secure nation and not all this blowback. Uh, the guy that Rince Priebus was, was touting for secretary of defense, his name is Mad Dog. <laughs> So, I mean, we're definitely getting surveillance. We're getting censorship. Mad Dog. Uh, What's well, Melania is leading the charge. Uh, Mad Dog Mattis, General Mattis, I think. Okay. I, I, I have to double check that. But, um, yeah, you were right with get... the Melania thing. It was on 60, on 60 Minutes. They talked about Melania. They even they said specifically her thing is going to be online bullying, cyberbullying. And you uh, yes. hit the nail on the head with that. I did. And you know what was funny about that is that I wrote that article before the election when I was absolutely positive Hillary was going to win. And the article was called something like the censorship president. And it laid out how Obama, Vernon, Jordan and Melania Trump were teeing it up for Hillary to crack down on cyberbullying, all this kind of stuff. And then when Trump won, I was like, oh, Melania is going to do it. That is nasty. And I think that's why they had Barron, the little kid, stand behind Trump during the acceptance. Really awkwardly? Awkwardly. It's like, what is that? But they, I think they wanted to emphasize that it's a personal, you know, don't blame him. He's just got to, you know, you are allowed to have your priorities as the first family. Yeah, I think they're totally going to target in on virtual – I've said this before – virtual reality because there are no laws, and the the goal of virtual reality is to create a a full immersion just as real as possible, so – they're, you know, we need to apply laws to this new environment that is almost – we're trying to make it as real as possible, so you better let the government take over. Otherwise, there's going to be all this virtual bullying, virtual rape, all these horrible psychological crimes going on. I wouldn't be surprised if Elon Musk 
leads the charge on that in a way because he was the one who first said AI, artificial intelligence, is way too dangerous not to be highly regulated by the government. But one more thing that I wrote in that article about the censorship president, I totally anticipated this thing with the fake news. I was like, they are cracking down. Obama said, we need a truthiness test for the uh, for information now that we have the internet. And Vernon Jordan said that too. So I wrote an article, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes, but before that was that. before, because I mean, that was the theme all week is this fake it's, news, it's right? unbelievable. Like CNN is, is pushing a story written by someone who is a leftist feminist. I mean, extreme, the, the list was crazy. It is only right-leaning websites and it's coming from CNN, which had just previously posted on their main page a number of stories saying alt-right racists commit crimes against you know anti-Trump uh, protesters when like most of them have been debunked. Either it was shown that a Democrat Hillary supporter did it or it was not racially involved at all, Like, and, and they don't do any retractions on those stories. And then they go and post a story about fake news when half, half of their week's news has been proven to be essentially fake. It's unbelievable. Uh, that's that's typical government type thing. Create the problem and then identify the problem and say that you're the one who has to solve the problem. It's, uh, it's an absolute communist state tactic. It's like a clown making a list of known clowns and not putting himself <laughs> on it. That's for sure. And then saying how we have to eradicate clowns. Right. Except yeah. for the- <laughs> like you're a clown. Why? This is strange. Uh, another thing that was in the news this week that I um, was way ahead of was the Kushner thing. That Kushner's father went to jail yeah. for campaign. I w- wrote my first article about that in March, that Chris Christie put in jail Jared Kushner's father for campaign finance fraud, I believe, when he was supporting Senator Hillary. So all those people were in on it. Christie, Trump, Hillary. Christie could have blown the lid off of that. And, ne- and taking both opponents out with one fell swoop, and he never did it. And now all of a sudden, it bubbled up to the surface just to probably vet it and get it out of the way. Yeah, that, I told you that Christie couldn't have blown that up because he has people have too much stuff on him. I think they all have stuff he on threw, each He put other. that guy in jail. He put that guy in jail. I don't know what I don't know what the uh, agreement was for that. But when it comes to outing, like to outing Trump's connections or Hillary's connections with all with those people. I don't think – Chris Christie probably has yeah. so many skeletons in the closet. It, it's probably unbelievable. Well, and there's I think definitely that's the case three with of them yeah, have they, to be deep into the whole New York, New Jersey thing. There's just too right. much going on in New York and New Jersey. And that and that John Corzine was a New Jersey guy. I mean I'm from the border of New York and New Jersey. I mean I, I'm not uh, saying like those people from New York and New Jersey are corrupt. But there's a lot of corruption between the unions – the union controls basically unions control all the labor government is huge there so you might be right yeah i think it's like a mexican standoff these guys all have their hands dirty if one fires then you know right like operation fast and furious where the and probably ran contra really uh those guys both sides were in on it so deep that they were really never gonna put people in jail for it right so, um, what else you got? Well, I've just been noticing this week all of the the thematic, which we've talked a little bit about right now it, uh, on CNN, especially their their 
their headlines. See, people just because we have so many news stories that, that come at us, we're we're flooded with all these headlines. We can't possibly read them all. So the headline from the news source that we trust the most leaves an impression um, on our minds. And CNN especially has just been their headlines have basically been racist, racist, alt right, Trump, racist. Just just creating these associations, and then you click on the story, and it's just like. This story is clearly only here because it fits into this narrative, and I just think it's interesting to notice the the, the subtle stories that they put in. Like I, I have a, a screenshot here of of like eight stories in a row where so one of them is the first one: terror attacks surge six hundred fifty percent in one year. So that tells you be very afraid there could be a terror attack oh, at home, right? You know what that tells me <laughs> that they're doing it on purpose. What could possibly be account for that right yeah well, exactly and uh listen to these stories that follow because it's about it's about the associate it's about what imprint this leaves on people's on people's minds attached to these other stories that are kind of associated with them uh, creating these associations so when people think of terror they think of these other things that are listed right by them then the next one is mayor out a mayor out after racist post about flotus now i looked this one up this was a mayor from a small town in west virginia that had 489 people in it 99 percent white and there was a racist comment that the mayor commented on said that it made her laugh and the, the comment it very much is probably racist it could be interpreted other ways but it's probably a racist comment but i'm thinking about this i'm like when would a uh clearly racist town in west virginia make the news <laughs> because the new mayor they're putting in is not going to be somebody who's not racist that's probably why they elected this person in this town but for some reason when a, a mayor makes a comment that is probably the type of comment you might hear in this town which is 99 white 489 people in it why would this make the news? If they wanted news like this from this, this town, they could go there and just record everything that goes on, and they'd fill CNN up all day. The only reason they, that that made the news is because it fits the alt-right attacking the, 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 a, a black first lady, and then you attach that to terror attack surge 650% in one year. That creates this ongoing association of domestic terrorist alt-right racist. And that, that's those two headlines. That's what I gather from that. Then you have uh, one down. You have an airport shooting suspect found dead. So you've already created these associations of domestic terrorism. Then you have airport shooting, which may, makes you think no-fly list and terrorism. Then you have Trump's name. Um, three NYC buildings drop Trump's name. So right next to these, you have Trump's name listed, which attaches Trump to these other headlines. So now you're getting this theme of domestic terror, of racism, right. of Donald Trump, and it continues. It goes down to LeBron James slams Phil Jackson Phil Jackson over posse remark. Apparently, Phil Jackson said the word posse, <laughs> which is not a racist term. People talk about That's their – That's insane. Their, of I know. Course. But what happened, I guarantee you – Phil Jackson, what, I mean those guys are so above race. It right. seems, looks like to me. But, but it, it makes us think of the uh, the owner of the, the, the Clippers, like you talked about a few weeks ago. This, oh, this, yeah, Donald Sterling. Like, when you actually read that the story – That was super-duper racist. Right. That associates Phil Jackson like this, but I guarantee you here's what happened. Somebody comes up to LeBron James and goes, hey, did you hear about that really racist remark Phil Jackson made? And LeBron's probably like, what? And he's like, yeah, he said this really racist thing about you when he called you and your friends posse. Do you think that's a terrible thing? And he's probably like, yeah. It's probably just like in did the middle. Did you actually read the quote? And I, the I, I, read, I read the quote, and it, it appears to me that – well. 
Phil Jackson's thing, it did it did not come off to me as racist. That's because I, I use the word posse just joking around. Like, you know, me and of my course. friends. I my never posse. thought of that as <laughs> I, I didn't either. Isn't a posse what they used to use in the old west to get um wasn't it a vigilante? Yeah, term? well posse come posse up. up to Right. I can't I can't remember how to say the phrase, but yeah, it is. Uh but it, it looks to me like it was very suggestive on whoever came and yeah, got yeah, the quote yeah. from from LeBron. Yeah. Um, yeah, because then, I seem to recall that Phil Jackson and uh, Michael Jordan were just right. like a an entity. <laughs> I've like never heard entity. Phil Jackson called a racist before. Ever? No, uh, maybe I'm wrong, ever. but I've never heard it. Then you, I've heard there, him called some stuff, but not that. Right, and then the last two, the last two stories. ISIS booby trapped house. That that just kind of associates terrorism with this whole theme of anti. Okay. Uh, uh, alt-right, whatever. And then the very last one, and this one has been debunked already, and this was just from Friday. Anti-Trump speaker tackled. Now, it was already been – we've already discovered, if, but CNN didn't do a retraction on this, that the person who tackled this person was not a Trump supporter. It was a Democrat who has donated money to to uh, Democrat, and I, I believe they said she even supported Hillary. I would need to double-check that, but it didn't have anything to do with the fact that this was an anti-Trump person. This was somebody who had, like, social cognition problems, like, uh, um, I can't remember what it's called, uh. Uh, some sort of mental thing, and it didn't have anything to do with, with somebody who was pro-alt-right Trump tackling somebody who was anti-Trump. It had something to do with somebody who has a social disorder that had some sort of conflict with the person speaking, but they presented it as though it was a Trump supporter, the way they do the headline and the way the story is, tackling an anti-Trump speaker, and that's not at all what happened. Well, so, I don't understand this idea that the – all the racists are coming out of the woodwork when I feel like they, if they won, you know, if your argument is that they won and, you know, it just doesn't seem like what, what's actually happening is the protesters are the ones who are out in the street kind of super agitated because they lost. Yeah. Who does that? Who, who, people who win and say, yeah, let's go out and celebrate by drawing a bunch of swastikas on baseball dugouts. <laughs> I mean, who, Nobody does that. It's so insane, and, and they've been, been stories. Yeah, been stories like that that have also been debunked. It was found that somebody who was trying to make make people look bad drew a swastika. But that's the thing, though, because well, this, yeah, because this has been built up that it's plausible that Trump supporters are crazy. Then people who go to CNN for their news are only going to CNN to confirm what they already believe. They're not going there to disconfirm yeah. any of their beliefs. So they read these headlines, and these headlines become fact. They become truth to them. And then Yeah, they oh, they're not reading the articles. Right. But and the they don't and they, there's no reason for them to come back later and try to find out whether or not it was true. Like that story about Trump with the thirteen year old, um, which we found out recently the the girl made it up. And um, Well, actually Corey emailed me and said, if you read that article even that was only hearsay and innuendo. So, like, we really do right. not know. But there's, right, they yeah. keep putting, they keep putting conflicting. You know, that's that in itself is meant to create. It, it's meant to create you know, they're, confusion. They're putting disinformation. Over, yeah, right. But that, I want to say that, one thing about. Oh, go ahead. Finish, and then I'll, I was going to say the, these stories. A lot of these stories that have been. A completely alternative narrative on these stories. Some that have been proven to be not true. 
are still being used. You can hear you hear protesters saying them on TV, and you hear like, "Why are you protesting?" And they'll cite something that that's like, "Um, that that's." That kind of isn't true, what you said, but because they never went back or seen it and never retracted, it doesn't matter. So the whole idea is to just put as many of these these many of these thematic headlines that people that leave an impression on people's mind, and then it doesn't matter about fact checking. It doesn't matter. The story's out of the news, but it left the impression and needed to leave to continue the ongoing conflict, the ongoing protest. Yeah, it's fake news. Right, <laughs> it's exactly <laughs> fake what it news. is. Fake yes. news. And uh, but one thing that when you said in the beginning, Flotus First Lady Michelle Obama was the target of one of these racist thing, outbursts or jokes or whatever. There was an article in the journal but I'd also heard Van Jones himself, I believe, making reference to this. I'm not sure I heard him use the word but there's this, he, he said he invented uh, but it had already existed, the word white lash, meaning white backlash. Yeah, I heard that, that. This whole phenomenon is a reaction to the Obama presidency that it's, you know what I mean? Like, a, like this is, this is the final revenge of the people who didn't want Obama, you know, who bristled right, at yeah, the idea. They've just been plotting their person. revenge for eight years. So, so I expect that to keep. I, I just. That's going to matter. That's going to racism. It's not only, is, yes, they are. They are not, making sure racism stays in the narrative. And, and Obama. So it's not just that Hillary lost because she was a woman, but Obama, uh, Trump won because of people wanted revenge <laughs> for Obama being black. Uh, but I have this crazy thing. Can I? Go for it. Go crazy. Yeah, something weird that's been happening <laughs> lately. Yeah. It's, I'm going to call this a what to watch out for, but it's this, uh, the, the whole cultural shift that we're going to watch here with Trump is going to be, I, I identified this as way back when it launched when uh, they, there was that big dust up about Megyn Kelly and Trump said she was bleeding out her whatever. Right. And then, then she then got that some, radical haircut. And then she got right to show that she doesn't have a whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and that, so the whole, the whole, we had to listen just for like several <laughs> news cycles, if not weeks, all this talk about you know women's reproductive activities and i was like dude i would now i don't even talk like that why am i listening to men on the radio say stuff like that it was really gross 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 and wrong i was the first person because i was on the air immediately saying he said the same thing about chris wallace whatever you know <laughs> he doesn't have whatever either maybe so maybe he does maybe he does maybe he does he might so uh but then shortly thereafter the Mexican ex-president, I think, cursed at Trump or used vulgarity. I like to make that distinction. Used vulgarity. And uh, and I remember thinking, we're going to have this uh, surge of vulgarity. And I, so I might, I don't know if I mentioned this on the air. I hope I'm not repeating myself. But I heard you sent me a thing about when Trump's plane Oh, it was when they were talking about the Project Veritas videos on Anderson Cooper, and they played a clip in which the guy said, asshole. Then I was watching CNN, and uh, recently with the protesters after the election, and they were interviewing somebody on the street, and she said, <laughs> it was so funny, 
that California is the engine for the entire country and that she, who is clearly an engine for nothing, <laughs> uh, were sick of this shit. Yeah, she, <laughs> sick of this shit. And, uh, and I was like, okay, so now CNN has said asshole and shit in front of me. And sorry, I wouldn't even say this on my show, but for, uh, I would never say it on the radio, but I'm saying it here for, um, because it's a direct quote. Demonstrating but here. Yeah, I have to say the real words or it doesn't, you don't get right. how yeah. jarring that is. It's wrong to, I mean, it's not right. I don't like it. Uh, and then in the journal on Friday, February, uh, Friday, November 11th, the article was called Pollsters Face Hurdles in Changing Landscape. Again, that was something that I had identified a long time ago. But listen to this crazy quote. This is in the Wall Street Journal they're quoting a guy, Dan Wagner, head of Democratic research firm Civis Analytics. Uh, he says, it, it quotes him, quote, a corporate market research project. You don't know if your polling is shit because there's no election day. I mean, did they really have to use, they, they couldn't write a like four column article, a, a tiny little article. I, I mean, that's just, I've never, ever seen that word in the Wall Street Journal before ever is it? Is that not shocking? Could you? It's strange. It I, 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 I agree. I've never seen it either, especially in a, a, it. a newspaper. But I, I've noticed that I've noticed the same thing about the uh, about swear words being used more commonly on cable. Because I remember the first time I saw it, it was jarring to me too. I was like, since when can they? Since when can they say and do that? Because they said in the same like scene. I believe it was. The show Suits, maybe I can't remember exactly, but they said shit, and then there was a scene of someone's naked butt, and I was like, "What? What? What's going on? What Is am I watching?" Prime time network television. Yes, yeah. Prime time network. ABC, yeah. NBC, CBS. It was USA, I believe. Before or after ten o'clock? That might be a little different. No, it was before ten. It was like at seven. Yeah, I have seen that. I remember that, but I have never seen this before so cnn and the wall street journal so i'm just uh i think we're gonna see more of that and, i think it's cultural frankly, conditioning I, I agree with that I, the themes that they show in, in movies and on television and in the media when they start they're shocking at first but then they become normal the, this is they're conditioning us for a new reality is what this is and, and, and I think i'll tell you right. i hate to say for the children but i I want to be able to turn the radio on. I actually would not turn the radio on when they were talking about that Megyn Kelly thing. I I just want to be able to turn the radio on without horrible things. And um, there was some other stuff saying where my uh, son who has Down syndrome was really scared. I don't know if maybe they were talking about the clown thing. I don't know what. But it, to me, I don't want to not be able to watch the news with my kids. And they're not that young. I just, I, I just want to have some... Safe space. <laughs> it's right. fine. I just need to be able to have alternatives. You know, you don't I just want be... that. And what? Right. No, but what they're what they're going to do is they're going to sick Melania on the problem, and she's going to shut it down. You know, maybe this is all a precursor to it's getting out of control. We need to protect our children. So instead of just having like two realms like we had before, which although I'm not a fan of censorship. I, I I recognize the value of not having your kids uh, exposed to that all the time. You have to really shut it down then for them. Right. It, yeah, it becomes normal. If it's normal, then, you know, that's how they, they take it on too. It's 
whatever's normal, the kids adopt to. So here, so we'll have the censorship movement. Melania talk about cyberbullying. Vern Jordan talks about, and Obama talk about making sure there are truthiness tests, and everybody will go along with it because they're sick of hearing curse words in front of their kids. And the bottom line will be you'll have censorship, you'll have control of ideas, but you will not. And this is something I, I want to talk, think about with the Trump presidency. What you're not going to have is a cultural reversal. So when I was at that IVF thing, we were talking about Roe versus Wade. People were shocked that I thought that the Republicans and the Democrats, neither, you know, that the Republicans weren't going to save this country or overturn Roe versus Wade. I just don't think they're ever going to do it. It's too powerful a political tool. And it goes to the heart of the world government uh, ideology, Malthus, you know, this overpopulation myth where everything is about controlling the population. Even climate change is about controlling the population. Tom Hanks' they, most recent movie was about that. What was it called? It, it, it's that series with where he plays the guy who's, who researches Luminati. I can't remember the name of the movie. Oh, the Dan Brown series? Yeah. Is that Dan Brown? Like where they – It was another It was another Dan Brown thing. It was the third yeah. one in that series where Landon, I believe, is the character he plays. And he is – he's trying to fi- – there is a – a spread of a disease for the purpose of depopulation. And in interviews, when Hanks is talking about the movie, he talks about that that theory that's behind all of it. Oh, yeah. There's real – I mean there there's a famous soundbite or quote or whatever uh, recording of, of a – was it an AIDS researcher? Somebody saying it would be great if we had a disease <laughs> – that people don't have immunities to so that we could release it out into the public and cull the population. So that's, so if you look at, so you're saying that's in a movie. So I'm saying a fundamental tenet of this world government thing is population control. So I want to watch out for two things. If the Trump revolution really is an about face on all that is evil in our culture, then maybe you know, if you if you actually see a reversal of Roe versus Wade, I will consider that extremely significant, much more significant than Trump getting elected, much, much, much more. But I'd also say that overall, there is, I, I, they seem to refer to it as esoterica. There's the, this idea that pop, uh, pop culture, music, film, maybe especially, is either a driver of culture or a reflection of the underlying, I really think it's a driver, uh, or a reflection of like the underlying uh, zeitgeist kind yeah. of thing. So if Trump really is reflecting this difference, so so let's call it a culture of death, really, like euthanasia and uh, separating sex and children from, separating children from sex and, and sex from marriage and children from marriage, you know, all this thing to kind of sterilize the human uh, relationship and and push it up to the state level. It's real like eugenics, dystopian science fiction stuff. And it's really part of the 60s revolution, all of that stuff. If we are talking about a real shift, uh, if Trump represents a real shift, I think that's where where you would have to see it. In, in the music, in the popular culture, in this uh, population control ideas, that's what what you're going to see. And somebody sent me a, a link. It was an awesome link. Jenny sent me 
on Twitter where it's, uh, I don't know if you saw it. it, it's called the EIC. The EIC website tells you that how do you, it's for filmmakers, Entertainment Industries Council. It's for filmmakers and it tells you how to portray, it says suggestions for portraying, and then it has a bunch of topics, mental health, gun, violence, drugs and alcohol, and what they say is, look, you, you're creative, you're an artist, we don't want to stifle you, but if you have any sense of social responsibility, you'll betray gun violence as, you know, reckless and, you yeah. know, all this kind of stuff. It's the EIC. I never even heard of it before. Right. Well, yeah, they, you're right that they use yeah, films it's for deliberate. that. Right? They, I mean, there's yeah, but one of the books I have talks specifically about a number of films that have been used for propaganda purposes. It's really interesting. But they, it's a combination of both the underlying, uh, you know, um, what's going on in society, uh, zeitgeist, and also cultural driver. They want to push certain ideologies. It's more of a, as opposed to a direct impact propaganda. It's a long range, like. You know, subtly making it normalizing certain themes and ideas that they want to make popular, and that fits right in with the the stuff about depopulation control. The movie's called Inferno, by the way. I looked it up, um, and the the movie's called Inferno. Okay. And the actual theory of depopulation control, the the Malthus theory, is what it's yeah. based on. But yeah. yeah, the movies are totally used to do that. And if you if your if your film plays up a, a certain certain idea that wants to be pushed, it's going to be a lot easier for you to get funding and to get use of uh, government too. equipment and music. Yeah, exactly. And I've been reading more and more about the connections of uh, the drugs and the music. So when the Iran-Contra thing came through and the CIA pushed Coke and crack through Freeway Ricky Ross, Dark Alliance, I think was the name of the book um, that Gary Webb, who then later supposedly killed himself, I don't know, wrote uh, the that he put that money, the profits of that money into a record company, Death Row Records, I think. And then you had this interaction between drugs and music. And uh, so that like actually intentionally pushed that stuff. It's almost advertises for it. But I'm, I'm asking you, like, what do you think? Do you agree with me that if this is a real revolution, a real change that whether culture leads it or follows it, we're going to see a, a – you would have to – I don't expect it, but you would have to see a transformation in what they call esoterica. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that we would we – would, I think we're going to see a transformation. Actually, I don't think we're going to see a transformation at first. I think Hollywood's going to push back ex extremely hard against what's – against the yeah, ideas okay. that Trump propagated. Yeah. Whether or not he intends yeah. to put them forward, I believe we're going to see Hollywood – Playing up the type of similar CNN theories of, of racism. There might even be an alt-right terrorist come out in a movie. Oh, well, that was that book, Hell or, that movie, Hell or High Water, which was exactly. so, so totally played into it. But I want to say about the Dan Brown stuff. I read – I loved that first book he wrote about the Dead Sea Scrolls or whatever they were called. It was um, – nag hamabi like these i think that was it like a pot was found with scrolls in it and the book was fascinating and it really felt like he was teaching me a little bit about history even though uh hidden history even though it was a work of fiction so yeah. i went out and i bought everything i could on that that discovery of those scrolls and everything and the gospel of thomas and mary magdalene and i finally drilled down to the original sources 
And there, there was nothing there. I mean, nothing. His thing is such BS. It, it, it irritates me because I was captivated by it. It was so interesting. And people really think, you know, it's like, it's just that way that pop culture can then make you think you know something. Like my daughter is totally bombarded with Hamilton propaganda, the hip hop yeah. musical Hamilton, because Mike Pence showed up and then the guy's like, uh, had like a little rap war where I don't know what it was, yeah. but what happened? I haven't even had a chance to read about all, that story. yet. All I know is that Mike Pence went to a showing of Hamilton for what reason? I don't know. He got booed. And then the guy on stage gave him a nice little, uh, uh, poem or something like that. Uh, as if this was all a surprise and he still came up with the poetry. I don't know. And then, uh, it, it was like this huge, I mean, almost like a commercial blitz for this show, which was already being subsidized by, I think the Rockefeller Foundation was giving away $10 tickets to any school yeah. that wanted them. You know, they were really pushing this. And I, way before that, I always hated Alexander Hamilton. He created the first bank. And I think my daughter even said that Thomas Jefferson is kind of uh, put down in the in the Hamilton musical. She's all over, but... She thinks she knows now a little bit about that history. And, you know, I hate to be like, oh, no, that's just wrong, you know, but I am. I'm like, Does she think that they used to break out in song frequently when they spoke back in that day? (laughs) She might. I mean, she definitely is taking it all in hook, line, and sinker. But I'm trying to tell her that you can't – but in any case, I – I am observing that it is having, it's getting in, into her head the way, like learning history. She gets A's in history, but she won't remember it the way she's remembering this, whether it's true or not. Oh, yeah, yeah. At school, it's, it's uh, what's it, moat learning, where you just remember it just to repeat it, and it doesn't really, you know, but the, it doesn't have the impact that, that movies and theater does. That, that's stuff that sticks in your brain. And I told you the two things that my son who has Down syndrome, I mean, he is hard pressed to put two facts together from that school he goes to. But two things he absolutely will never forget. Trump is a racist and people are monkeys. Right. (laughs) I mean, that's that is the priority this year in his school. That's crazy. It is kind of crazy. But you know what? You did not tell me your opinion of why, did you, why Hillary showed up looking like that? What's your read on that? Why she showed up without makeup and having, without washing her hair at her first appearance. Well, what, she knew, she knew what she looked like. There's no doubt about For that. Sure. There's, yes, her no makeup question. people, they said, so that was a specific image to uh, convey a specific thing. That wasn't just her forgetting For sure. to do something. No question about I, it. I think it could be any number of things. I, I, I think with Hillary, there's always the, I'm going to do something to get people's sympathy, get the sympathy of people who support her or people who might be in the middle. And I think that yeah. that makes her appear that she, a long, hard campaign. She struggled and she lost. And I think that 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 could also continue to fuel the the the, the protesting and the divide. Look at how tired and how worn out she is, and and she's getting screwed over. Is could be the the mindset. Could be the effect that it has on some people, and it could provoke people on the other side to attack her based on her appearance, which in turn makes them look bad. It, it's a way. I think it helps further the fighting personally. Right. Okay. Because it was the first time ever I had even the slightest inkling that she might have been, might be playing a role. I I still don't think so. I still think she was gobsmacked. 
But when she turned out like this, I felt like it was just hamming it up. And why would she have to do that if it really was so devastating that she should be ashamed of herself for being that girly? And she came out and said, I just want to lay in my bed, curl up with a book and never get out of bed. You know, like that is so chick. You know, like you look at it and you're thinking, thank God this woman is not president because obviously <laughs> yeah. she can't like she's not has no resilience whatsoever that would be bad you know like something horrible starts happening and she has to curl up with a book ah you know it's That's just terrible, does, terrible, it's terrible, terrible under nuclear attack and she's like i gotta curl up with a book and think ah! of it. just rocking back and forth in the corner what are we gonna do what are we gonna do what are we gonna do <laughs> yeah. you know that was just such a terrible image that, and and I, and I don't believe it. I don't think it's true. I think she could totally pull herself together. She pulled herself together the day after the defeat. I don't know. Yeah, I think she could too. I think it, it sends a, a similar message as her public illness when she was sick publicly, which she just magically was no longer sick and looked real vibrant during the debates. But I think it does the same thing: is it provokes some people to make fun of her, and it gets people who support her to sympathize with her. I got two tweets when I said, what is this all about? Because the picture was insane. Two people tweeted back. One said, she's sick. That's why she looks like that, which I don't agree with. And the other said, uh, she's just trying to get people to feel sorry for her. I would agree with that. Yeah. Uh, Another thing that uh, sounds off track, but it would be another indication that there are competing factions or maybe even a chink in the armor at the top is this is a weird little story, but do you remember when the entire Polish government went down in a plane crash and they all died? And then the guy's twin brother took over as president. No Does that ring a bell to you. Okay. Uh-uh. People don't know about it, but it happened a few years ago and it was on its face. Like, Whoa, first of all, I, I mean, even the companies I've worked in, you never have all senior management on a plane. Like your insurance, your liability, your key man liability stuff just does not allow for it. So you should never, ever do that. So it was weird in that regard. And then there's a truly insane video on YouTube, which looks exactly like the official pictures of the crash site of people walking around what seems like shooting people in the head who are still alive after the crash. I mean, something crazy like that. And I never knew, you know, you really cannot believe stuff without more. It just put a little bit of doubt. Oh, remember the Polish story. Well, I just read there was like 90 people died in that plane crash. They're exhuming 86 of the bodies. They're, they're digging up the bodies because I did see that story. That makes sense. Yes. They're digging up the bodies. And I'm thinking if they're finding bodies, (laughs) bullets <laughs> you know then you'll know boy that was a coup that is but, that's strange yeah but here's the thing why are they digging up the bodies what you know maybe it's to cover up their tracks i don't know but if if we're in a in a real world a free world with free press and good government then you know if if we hear the truth about that and high level people go to jail for that I will, that will be another thing that'll make me think there is some hope for, right. uh, you know, that it's not, everything isn't under total control because that, that is a massive cover up. Yeah. Uh, 
of whatever happened there. And if they're digging up bodies, I don't know. So I guess that's a what to watch out for. Yeah. And I think we have to wrap it up. Yeah, so I have a couple quick couple quick go, what to go. watch out for. Yeah, that's fine. One of them is, and you sent me this story, is the story about the, the flag. There, there was an event where the flag wasn't allowed to be flown. What was the specific event? It was a it was a college thing. Did did I not? Oh, I tweeted about it. I can find it if you give me a minute. You can talk, and I can find it. But my the the point is that's something that uh, I, I've I've been kind of expecting to the the Colin Kaepernick protest type thing to get to that to where even flying the flag becomes a divisive symbol, so that we're being asked not to do it anymore. So the flag is now instead of a totally. unifying. Yeah, and well, I expect this to be amped up when when the football playoffs, when the NFL playoffs come around. Even though Kaepernick's not going to be in it, but there's, there's going to be the central spotlight and the focus again. So we're going to be hearing more about this. So I expect that to be become more and more of a divisive symbol as the, the playoffs come around. Yeah, go ahead. You, I mean, you. It was unreal to me because when you said that this guy taking a knee during the national anthem would eventually mean you could not fly the American flag. Like to me, that was really reaching, but I mean, I just thought, okay, maybe, but there's probably a hundred equally likely possibilities, but you really nailed it. This was from November 17th, which is just a few days ago. Uh, There's trouble brewing in Lincoln, Nebraska, where students at a public school were told they could not fly the American flag because it might spark some sort of post-election backlash. Exactly. And with this rise of the alt-right racist theme, these themes are all kind of going to be intertwining together. And I think during that, I think we're going to, because the NFL playoffs, especially the Super Bowl, is a major, major propaganda month, especially when you hit the Super Bowl. So I I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about stuff like this. I really fall for the Super Bowl propaganda too, like uh, pistachios. (laughs) They really bombard you with pistachios. Like, I think pistachios, like, saves all their money for the Super Bowl. Yeah. And I just notice how effective those ads. I really literally cannot. You crave pistachios after the Super Bowl. And I always think of the Super Bowl, and I'm the store. I'm like, hey, that's the Gangnam Style guy. Like, I'm buying pistachios. You're going through buying pistachios and and satanic-symboled T-shirts and stuff after the (laughs) I mean, they can push anything is what I'm saying. Like, you can tell. You might not know that you're hating the flag subconsciously when they push that, but you but you can tell that you subconsciously are reacting to the pistachio ad. I'm just right, saying you're, yeah. you're reacting to everything it's, the yeah. same way. Um, I got one more, too, that you actually you, – you talked a lot about this. You talk about it all the time, actually, but how uh, democracy is in the, the crosshairs. Absolutely, yeah. And the Electoral College, there's been some legislation put up to change the Electoral College. This has been a, a theme of a lot of the protests. Let's challenge the Electoral College. A lot of the ele- a lot of the electors in each state are getting bombarded with emails and, and messages from – even their lives are being threatened by protesters. And what what I see going on here is this is, this is the masses pleading to these – specific electors and states asking the asking the minority to ignore the majority. So while when you look at it from a national wide perspective, they'll say the majority vote went to Hillary, but what they're asking people to do in the states is they're saying, 
look here, state electors, ignore yes, what the majority up their voted. Own, their own yes, power, yes. Exactly. Take power away from us and give it to the few. And that's that's and if that's the change that's the kind of change that, that, well, that as we talked about at the beginning, they want us to give yeah. away as much power as possible and they're and now people think, are begging for it. You think California and New York have power because of the electoral college. Imagine. I mean, I think there are probably as many voters eligible voters in California and New York, you know, as, as almost as many people who voted, yeah. you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I just, the populations of those two States put together uh, and then concentrated probably as they are in workers. Cause they're such expensive places to live and workers are the voting age people. You know, I mean, it's just, I, I it's, it's a terrible idea. And yeah. our whole system really, our, our constitutional system, all that has, unlike European systems, they really emphasize the power of the minority. So they, even in the congressional bodies, they're supposed to give minority power. That's what the filibuster is all about. It's why, unlike in England, the party leader is not necessarily uh, the president and the whole party doesn't vote together. Like in, I think in the UK... If a bill comes up, you vote with your party. You you don't just vote the way you want to vote. And the same thing with the filibuster. And they, I think they're trying to uh, erode those laws too. Yeah, and mob rule is bad. Right. And, and here's here's what they're asking. If it's not going to happen this way, but if this were to happen, if they were to say, if the electors were to say, you know what, we're not going to listen to the majority in our state and we're going to vote against it and we're going to give our electors to Hillary. If that were to happen, how, how these people would remember it, they would say, yes, the majority won out. But in reality, the way it would be affected by law is in the future, the, the precedent wouldn't be that the majority, the people get the power. The precedent would be that, that the people give away the power. So they would be setting a standard that, that is the opposite of what they think they're trying to achieve. So yeah, be, all that, yeah. and, and the whole thing is based on a complete farce because the reason the popular vote doesn't count is that the popular vote doesn't count. If they knew in advance the popular vote counted, it would be completely different from what it is now because tens of millions of people in New York and California and Texas would have come out and voted who did not have to vote before. You cannot change the rules after people have relied on a certain way of counting the votes. Exactly. It's, it's a setup. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's all a setup. Off. And the answer is the 10th Amendment. The answer is just don't let D.C. have all the power. Take your power back. Take all that stuff back. Take the gay marriage back. Take abortion back. Take uh, education back, take health care back, take all the stuff that falls under what they call police powers in the 10th Amendment, take it back because you deserve it. You don't have to have an exit. You don't have to have Cal exit. You can right. if you want to. That's totally fine too. What's wrong with secession? I was playing oh that God. I was playing that Reba McIntyre song, Take It Back in My Mind, while you were saying all that. <laughs> Maybe you can use that as our out music because it is <laughs> time. Right. It is time to conclude episode 12 of the Propaganda. You said you'd be a mess you later. now if it hadn't been for me. You said I stole your heart away by looking in your eyes. I wonder now how many times you sold that.